Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And uh, we're a good ways down. We're up verse 9. Before we get started, just a reminder of where we are and what we're doing. Um, this is Solomon looking at life, looking for answers for this life under the sun. That means he's not thinking about eternity. That means he's not thinking about God, um, which is kind of odd, you know, but uh, I think it's because we know the conclusion. We know that that's where he's driving to. And so, but he's looking for answers under the sun. Is there answers to this life under the sun? And so we're at the point in the book here in the middle where we're, we have Solomon's musings, where he's thinking out loud, you know, where he's kind of telling us, well, here's what I have done. Here's what I've examined. Here's what I've seen and witnessed. And now he's kind of um, <clears throat> you know, putting his thoughts together, but he's thinking out loud where we can read him as he hypothesizes you know, to try to bring it around. And so using just worldly wisdom and reason, I think it's really starting to solidify to him that this world is not all there is, you know, that, that there's more. Uh, because if this world is all there is, and he uses his wisdom and everything to apply it, and he was the wisest man who ever lived, he says, this world leaves us wanting. It does. You know, do, you, do you actually sit here and think, you know, I will be able to satisfy every longing and desire that I have in this world? I don't. You know, I, don't I know I won't. I know I'm not going to be able to. I can't afford to do everything that I want to do. I want to travel. I want to see all this. You know, it's like, I got to go to work every day. You know, I'd like to have more vacation time to be able to. I, I can't do everything that I want to do just because of the limits of, of what there is and limits of time. Uh, let alone this world leaves so much unresolved, you know. Things that just aren't right, answers that we have, questions that we have, mysteries that aren't solved. I have a lot of questions. I was talking to the missionary we had Sunday night, Costa Rica. Um, my mind, and so I think Costa Rica, what's going on in Costa Rica? First I thought, okay, it's not an island. I was thinking it's an island. It's not an island. It's in the, it's in, it's in the islands there. Like, oh, they're the ones, they have these giant spheres that are buried all over the continent. Giant ones, small ones, everywhere they find them. If they dig an airport runway, they find these things, they're like, the ancients put these in the ground. We don't know why. And I'm like, no, I don't know why either. I'm asking him, do you know why? He started to answer me, and somebody asked me a question. I never got answers. And so I don't, I still have a mystery there, unresolved about these giant spheres that are buried all over Costa Rica. You know, but there's a lot of other things like that, you know, that we, we find all these things we, have, we don't have answers for. That's unsettling, you know, that we don't have it. As there are, so there's things that are, you know, unresolved. There's things that are unanswered. And there's a lot of unjust, things that are unjust. Things that just don't seem right. Seems like that it shouldn't go on and it should be resolved. And the people should know that that's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be this way. You don't reward evil. You reward good. And it just seems like there's a whole bunch of that that leaves us frustrated. Don't you ever feel frustrated by what goes on in the world? What gets rewarded? Who are millionaires and who aren't? And all these things. Because it seems like wickedness prevails. You know, It just kind of frustrates you. So this world and this world alone and just here on this earth, it just leaves too much. Too much of too much, you know, in that way that are just undone. And so I, I think we get a sense of that frustration here today in his text that he's like, I've looked at a lot of this and I don't have a lot of answers. You know, I've used everything that I have. He had the resources. He had the time. He had the money. He had the power. He had the position. And he's applied it to these things. And he's like, I don't think I'm much better off. Now, he's a lot better off when, you know, before he started, I guess, at the end, we, we, we do glean things. But you and I are in a much better position, being this much further down, down the line. Uh, and we'll get to that a little bit later. So, uh, so just observing the world, I find this interesting. That, so Solomon, just observing the world, you can come to the conclusion that it's just not right. 
you didn't have the Bible, if you didn't have any kind of outside influence in that way, just by looking at the world and how things move and operate, just by observing what goes on, Solomon comes to the conclusion, something's not right. This seems broken. This is not how things ought to be. I think the world comes to that. I think that's fair. As people truly do look, they, they can come to that conclusion. But we have an advantage that the Bible tells us why, right? Uh, the Bible tells us what we long for. It's the Bible that tells us how to make things right, how to get things right, how to live right. It's the Bible that tells us why we are here, what's the sole purpose of man. You know, to, uh, we, we have those answers from the Word of God. We, we have a remedy to our problem, the sin problem. We have a remedy to that through God's Word that we're here to celebrate this morning, you know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We also know that justice is coming, that the wicked don't get by with it. We, we have some of those answers, and so we have a little more stable life. Uh, the Bible talks about, you know, being adrift, you know, a boat that's adrift. You know, it just goes and it'll crash and hit into anything. We're not adrift. We have an anchor for our soul. We have a point that we cling to. And God is that anchor, that, that solid ground that we can build our life upon, that we're not drifting, that we're not aimlessly washing around. We, we, we have a point. We have something we are anchored to, that there is truth, that there is justice, you know, that God will see these things right and that things will be made right. And there's a sense in that that when I feel that frustration, it's like, oh, it seems like the wicked prosper, that I know they won't prosper. That God ultimately has the final say. So evil does not get by with it. But here and now, Solomon is starting to turn to that conclusion. You know, he's looked at the things in this world, and he's starting to reason through these issues and come to that conclusion that you and I enjoy, that God is right, and that there is eternity, and that judgment will be meted out. So verse 9. So chapter 8, verse 9. He says, All this I have seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. So he says, you know, I've applied my mind to this, I've applied my, my heart. And he says, and here, here's something that I see. Bad leadership. There's, there's bad leadership. And there's bad leadership that's so bad that it even hurts them. Um, some versions take it a little bit different, but the majority of them interpret it this way. You know, we know bad leadership hurts people. Uh, but Solomon's reasons here is that Bad leadership or evil leadership will ultimately turn around and be, be bad against them. Their rule is so bad and so corrupt that it hurts even and even destroys themselves. He's like, I, I've seen that. You know, that, that it just seems like, oh, here, have some power. And then they do it and it's wrong and it, to the point where it even hurts themselves. Uh, sometimes leadership's so bad and so repressive you know, that the people rise up. You know, they revolt against it. Viva la revolution! You know, and they're going to fight against it. They're going to overthrow. They're going to be like, we can't be under this oppression. We're going to be there. Some of them have been under it so big and so long that they can't. And so it takes another nation, someone to stand up and say, we are going to liberate these people who are being oppressed. You know, they, are, they can't defend themselves. And so that's kind of been the, you know, the role of the United States of America is that if there is someone who is being oppressed and we can do something about it, it's almost, you know, that God has put that on us, that onus. If you're big and strong and you see this, you know right from wrong, and you see innocent people hurting, you know, we have a whole thing of just war. that We can go in and liberate those people. You know, we've done that. You know, Europe owes United States. You know, it's like we went and liberated them. There's an opposing force who was in there trying to impose this on them, dictating and taking over, and then we went and liberated them at the cost of many of a young man's life. You know, but we did that because it was good. It was just. It was, it was freeing them under this oppression, you know, and we still do that. That's still what we do. Think you know, Saddam Hussein, you know, that, that here was an evil dictator, you know, went and did all that, and that we had to go and, and liberate them. And yet, 
it's not playing exactly right, but you know, it came around to his own hurt, you know, where it cost him himself, you know, that everything that he did under that, they tried him and hung him for it. And so, um, yeah, it can come against you. Um, so sometimes they revolt. Sometimes they overthrow leadership. Sometimes they jail them, assassinate them, or execute them. They rule to their own hurt. Satan said, sometimes, you know, another nation has to come in. Power is a dangerous thing to wield. Uh, you might be top dog and think that you can get by with anything, but it doesn't mean that you are outside judgment. You, know? you might think, well, I'm the highest one on the, on the chain here. Who, who's going to come and get me? Uh, you make enough people mad enough, long enough, they'll rise up and you'll find out there is a majority that stands against you. And so, yeah, we just need to wake up that silent majority uh, and, and hold people's feet to the fire so that they do right. So Solomon's pondering that. He has many of the same questions that we do. And some of the same questions that his father David put down in the Psalms that we have. Like, why does it seem like that evil gets rewarded or even that evil is encouraged? And why does it seem like evil gets by with it? Don't you get sick of that? You can watch someone lie, steal, and cheat. I can remember, you're like, scraping through getting pennies to go buy enough formula for the kids and then watching somebody in Escalade pulls up, pay with food stamps, you know, and do this, that, and the other thing, and then get into it. It's like, man, they got a car worth more than my house. It's like they're scamming the system, getting the change back to get their cigarettes and their liquor and everything else. It's like, why? It seems like they are being rewarded for it. And I'm like, I'm, I can remember honestly standing there thinking, like, I don't care. I'm going to do right. I'm going to do right. I can remember in school playing football, knowing kids were doing drugs, seeing kids do drugs, performance-enhancing drugs. They wasn't all steroids back then, but they did speed and these other things. And I'm like, if I can't do it on my own, own merit, I don't want it. If you're going to lie, steal, and, steal and cheat and, and do that and be rewarded for it, it will come back against you that day. I, 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 have, I, I can remember resolve to think that. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to cheat. I'm going to do it the right way. Didn't mean I started. You know, <laughs> didn't mean I got by. But within me, I had something I had, I had a solid ground to stand on you know, to, to do that. And so you need to have that resolve. I don't care what it seems like the wicked are getting by with. You're, you're to stand. Uh, verse 10, he gives us an example. He says, he says, So I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from this place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This also was vanity. He said, it's in the King's English. It makes it a little wonky to understand what he's saying. But he talks about there's a wicked person that was in their community. He dies. And so they have the big funeral. They go to the holy place for this wicked person. I've got to bury him in church. You know, we've got to do it like our society says. And so they take this wicked person. They have their church service. They bury him. And the people leave church, and they go home, and they talk about how good he was. And they talk about how much he's going to be missed. And his mom's like, he was such a good boy. And his grandma's like, oh, I loved him, and all this other stuff. In Solomon's mind, he's thinking, What? This guy was a drug dealer. This guy was a plague to society. I'm glad he's dead. I didn't have to execute him or whatever it was. He's like, this guy was a bully. He was hateful. He was a terror to the community. He was a problem I had to deal with every day. Everyone dreaded him. Everyone hated him. And says, now you're all talking about how good he was? He's like, this is not even right. And you're just all going to dismiss his bad behavior and not even discuss, here's what happens if you do wickedly. This guy was a bad seed. This guy was a bad egg. This guy was bad. Don't be like him. But they're all like, oh, no, he was good and he was right. And Sadly, we've had that example, haven't you? Someone that was really bad, but the funeral, you don't want to say nice things. And you don't want to say bad things to the children about that. So their kids are going to grow up to emulate him because everybody told me how good my dad was. Everybody told me how, how, he, how he was this way. My, my dad died young doing a drug deal, but apparently it must be good. Everybody talked about how good he was and how much they loved him, how much they missed him. And they don't talk about the bad behavior. And Solomon's like, this is wrong. 
You know, we should use this as an example to say that it is wrong. It's like there's one thing about being polite and nice. There's another thing when you, when you don't warn others. This guy should be a proverb. This guy should be condemned in the society. He should be a warning to others. Don't live like that. Um, uh, but they aren't. And so their place is filled in. As a matter of fact, their sin is multiplied. Verse 11, he says, Because sentence against the evil work is not executed speedily, no one says right then and there, this guy was bad. You know, they don't say what it was or even, you know, I think he's still talking about the funeral here. He says, Therefore the heart of the sons of men are fully set in them to do evil. It's like, they're not condemned for what they did. You know, everybody talks about how good they were, that nobody remembered the wicked things that they did. And they're like, guess that's how it works. You know, so the kids say they'll go out and do it. So evil is ultimately multiplied. You know, and, and so I, one of our trial system is a speedily, supposed to be, a speedily you know, executed trial in that way. It should be there. It should be coming on them. Let them know this is wrong. We don't behave in it. Our, our system's corrupt. Our system is broke down on how it's supposed to be. But here I think he's mostly talking about the jury of our mind as a community that we say that is bad behavior. We do not encourage that. You do not act that way. We're supposed to be teaching our, our children that this is wrong. The wicked are talked about on TV now. What they did, how much time they get on TV play, uh, these wicked people. The magazines that they are on, the websites that point about them, that glorify the wicked things that they did. Talk about them to the point where there's almost a mystery and a mystique about them. If I said unto you, Harrison Klebold, do you remember who they are and what they did? It's the Columbine shooters, right? And it's like they were Time Magazine. They are still kind of the epitome. Oh, the first major school shooters in the United States. They shot 37. They killed 13. They have Wikipedia pages. They have article after article is out there. And again, it is something, there's a news story that, that that happened. But it seems like they were glorified to the point where it's like a body count. Who can beat this? It almost seems like how the news ports put it out there. The first thing they do is they're going to tally the dead and see where they are. And they'll compare it to, well, Cleveland and Harris are still winning. Or these guys did a good fair shot. And they almost put it that way to the point where you have these twisted minds that are like, hey, they get TV time. They're famous. People are talking about them. They did it on Hitler's birthday. Maybe I should do it on Hitler's birthday. Maybe you know, we have the killing season. You know, we have certain seasons now that we're like, oh, it's the killing season. You know, when kids do this, when the kids go that way, because of these anniversaries and all this happens, it builds around. It's almost glorified, and people sit around and wait. Remember the name of the Las Vegas shooter? Not as much, right? I, 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 I thought about it. I finally figured it out, Stephen Paddock. But he shot 851. He killed 58. The Florida shooter. He's, little, he's more, more recent history. I still, I didn't, I had to look his name up, and after I saw him, okay, yeah, I remember that, that Nicholas Cruz kid. He killed 17, and dozen, dozens were injured. There's the Batman shooter, there's the Sandy Hook shooter, there's the Charlotte Church shooter, you know, there's all these different shooters. Sadly, we can sit here and list for a pretty good long time, you know, all the different shooters that are going on. And, and there's stat sheets about them where they compare them together and, and what they did and how it was and do we hear about the evil characters that they were? Do we hear about the evil actions, about what they did? Is that the main point of the story that we have dispersed to us that's put in front of our face and our children? To hear about how they should be despised. This behavior is wrong. We do not do that. You do not kill someone. Thou shalt not kill. It's a Ten Commandment. That's probably why they avoid it. And they don't say it that way. But no, they, 
they don't condemn these men as much. They don't con- condemn their actions. Is that the, you know, if, if you're to think about all these different shootings, is the main message about them, do not be wicked and evil. Do not shoot your fellow student. Do not shoot your fellow man. Do not go in mass areas with guns and shoot people. Is that the main thing that we have out there? Do not kill. Is that the main message that the media puts across, that People can be wicked and evil. Watch out for them. Don't be like them. Is that what we teach our kids in school? Is that the message that is being crammed, crammed down our throat? No, if I was to tell you all those things and put it all together, I think we'd all come to the same conclusion. What is the main message that they tell us that should be stopped? Guns. Guns. An inanimate object. Not people and their evil actions and what they've done wickedly. Not people and their, how they're responsible for what they've done. How because we've glorified them, we've set up others to be like them because we've told them how good they are and what they are doing and they've had no consequences for it. Matter of fact, they've got websites and people are fans and people will be like them and they'll do their web posts like, I'm going to shoot them up like Harrison Klebold. And, okay, I guess you get your freedom of speech. We'll let you go and put you back in school and we'll make sure you can have all the things that you want to have and we'll supply for you and... Stand down and all these things that we could do. It's like, no, we should ban the bad behavior. We should tell it and condemn that bad behavior and say that it is wrong. We've had guns since 1271. They've been around a long time. Guns have been in American homes forever. It's one of our rights to be able to defend ourselves. One of the things that we are there, if you read the Constitution, to defend against a corrupt government in that way. We are the second biggest armed army in the world, the American population. Numbers are right. We might be number one. I mean, as far as the United States, how many people have so many guns? But we are there. Yet we blame it on this inanimate object. So Solomon is right. We see it. Well, look at the end of verse 11. He says, The men and the sons of men is fully set on them to do evil. So they, they, they see it. They don't, it's not pull out. This is that they are fully set in them to do evil. So they're like, well, it seems like it's glorified. It seems like they get by with it. it. seems like their name gets remembered. They get etched in stone. They become these famous celebrities in that way. Yeah, I guess I'll do it. You know, uh, we'll, we'll do it too. It's almost like we are baiting them to do it. Verse 12, he says, Though a sinner do evil in a hundred times, and then the days, his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear uh, before him, verse 12, but it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. Uh, this is him trying to reason it out. This is us getting to hear what's inside his head as he's thinking. He goes, I've seen it happen a hundred times. He says it right there. You know, Though a sinner do evil a hundred times. He goes, I've seen them do things, and I've seen this hundreds of times. They get by with it. And they live long. Seems like they get to have a ripe old life. And they get to live on their estate with all their stolen goods and all their corrupt money that they've sheltered and they've hidden it this way. And, and yes, they ran a company into the ground, but they got the big bonus of CEO at the end because it saved them a lot of money that year by kicking everybody out of a job and selling off all the, all the products. And it's just corrupt. You know, we had a corrupt system that did that with housing where these wicked people went out and did wicked things that they knew were going to happen in that way. And people lost their homes and people lost all their money and they got bailed out by the government and a bonus for it. That just makes you mad. It's like that was the whole bubble uh, thing that happened in the night. It's just, but it's just, oh, it's frustrating. Because they're a corporation? Because they're water? They have a lobbyist? That they get by, get by with it? Because you have some power or name behind you? We, we have watched that in the last few years. It just seems like they get by with it, but the average Joe doesn't. And it's so frustrating. Solomon's like, I've seen it. I've seen it. And it seems like, you know, the way to go is that evil prospers. Just do evil. Because that's the message that we're sending. If you're looking at this world 
Who gets by with it? Who has the most money? Who has the success? Who has fame? Who has glory? Evil. The ones who are doing drugs and sing about doing drugs and sing about shooting cops and shooting cops and, and the ones who talk about all the wickedness and their promiscuous ways and all the things they're doing and how they're, they'll, they'll do it on television for you. They'll show you all this to make them famous, give them money, let that out there, and they seem like they get to live to be a ripe old age and everything goes fine with them. You know? And the innocent people seem like they suffer and die and have short lives. But Solomon's gut is talking to him. Verse 12, he's like, Though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, seems like they get by with it, they live forever. He says, Yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. He's like, This is what I see, but in my gut I know that's not right. In my gut I know it's those who fear God that are doing the right thing and should have that reward, should be the ones that are living long. Uh, Solomon doesn't know what happens after death like you and I. He lives in a time when you know, he doesn't have that much scripture in front of him. He doesn't have much revelation. The Bible's a progressive revelation. And we have the completed word, and so uh, we live in a blessed, blessed time. But he's just using wisdom. He's just using what he knows here on the earth, and he knows that's wrong. He says, I, I know that that's wrong. And he says, and I know it's better to be right than to do evil. I know it seems like the evil are getting by with it. It seems like the evil get, live long and prosper from it. He goes, but I know it's not, I know it's not right. He, says, he goes, I know there's an afterlife. I know that there's something. Solomon says it is better for the right than the wicked. He says it's better for them that fear God than them that don't fear God. Uh, and so look at verse 12 again at the end. He tells it right at the end. He says, though a sinner do evil... A hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it will be well for them that fear God, which fear before him. He's like, I, I know that. His guts tell him, everything tells him that's right. Verse 13. But it shall not be well for the wicked. I know there's got to be a judgment for them. That there's got to be an accountability. Neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. He's like, everything in this world, everything under the sun, tells me that they don't get by with it. Everything in my bones tells me that they can't get by with it. You and I have some verses that we can stand on. I'll save them for the end. But, but he, he just says that, I just look at this, it can't be right. There must be right, and right must be rewarded, and right must be prolonged, and right must be lifted up. And yet the world does it backwards. He says, they don't fear God, and that's going to have to cost them. He goes, it just, it's common sense. It's just common how it should play out. Verse 14, he says, there's a vanity which is done upon the earth, that uh, there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. And again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. Uh, again, I still think he's talking about, uh, thinking about eternity here. But he says he's reasoning here how it, it must be better for the just. That is still what his thinking is. He's like, it's got to be better for the just. He said, because in this world, Solomon says, I have seen just people get what the wicked deserve. Here's a guy who's doing right. Here's a guy who tries to do right. And the laws are against him. The courts are against him. The guy can't buy a break. It seems like they're going to put fine upon fine, and they're going to tax him, and they're going to do this, and they're going to frustrate the poor guy to death. And he's still going to try to do what's right, and it's going to be wicked for him. Here you've got a wicked guy who lies and corrupts and, uh, and, and does all these things, and it just seems like he gets by with it. It's okay. He's like, oh, he gets rewarded for it. And, oh, yeah, you get the bonus, and you get all this. It's like, oh, feel some of that frustration. And he says, he goes, and I've watched the weak, wicked people get what a righteous man deserves. I've watched the righteous people get what a wicked man deserves. He goes, that seems backwards. And we know that the Bible says it's going to be worse in the last days. So yes, that's our frustration. 
seems like the wicked call good evil, or the world calls good evil and evil good, and we just say, this, no, it's not, and the Bible is here, and it's such a tearing thing in us to try to stand knowing that things are backwards and that men's eyes don't see it. Because they go with what they see and they go for the here and now because they're just living with under the sun looking and, look, and, and living and thinking and reasoning. But we have to think outside of that. We can't be bogged down into that trap. Solomon is reminding us through his frustration here and now in 2018, don't be stuck in that trap. Remember there is eternity. Remember there's an account we're going to give before them. Remember that they don't get by with it. They're going to have to answer for it. And wickedness here, and he always calls them wicked. Wicked means hostile to God. So we're not just talking somebody who's just a bad guy. No, we're talking somebody who's hostile to God, who does things in his face. Think of your famous Richard Dawkins, who's like, God's a liar, and God's stupid, and everything he does is wrong. And all those who follow him are stupid and dumb, and, and he's going to make money and sell books and get big websites over it. Matter of fact, they are wicked are also guilty of sin against humanity and against God. And so these people are not only wicked towards God, but wicked towards men, and it seems like the world likes it. <laughs> Everybody likes a bad guy. Put him out there. It's like, no. But it seems that way. Yeah, so he says... Solomon just sees it all and he says that it's frustrating. He says it's wrong. We should empathize with that. And you can see from this under the sun thinking in eternity that he has devised and he says that the afterlife has to exist to make things right. That's the conclusion he's coming to. There has to be an afterlife because under the sun, things are unjust. Things aren't right. Things aren't as they should. There has to be a place where all this is resolved. There has to be a place where all this comes around. In music, there's resolution power. You know, where, where you, you do the chords, it comes back around, and there it resolves. You know, the, the song resolves there. In books and stories, there has to be a resolution at the end, or it's dark. You, know, you have to have some resolution to it. We know that there is an end that is innately built within us, by imprinted upon us by our Father, God the Father, on us to say that, no, we want things to be right, we want things to go right, we want justice to prevail. And so Solomon is saying, under the sun, I come to the same reasoning, there must be an afterlife again he's just using natural things so Solomon is stuck so if he is just going to apply his wisdom to under the sun what's his best advice that he could give not counting on an afterlife yet so verse 15 is his advice on what to do with all this injustice so verse 15 he says then I commended mirth because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry For that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life, which God giveth him under the sun. He says, well, make the best of it. (laughs) While you're here, he says, try try to have fun. Make the best of a bad situation. Enjoy life the best you can. That's the best worldly advice that he can give. Man, that feels wanting, doesn't it? Because it is wanting, because it's not the complete story. Uh, But it's the best that the world can give. Try to go. I I remember I was uh, working with a guy. And his church was a Christian church that didn't preach the gospel. They believed in baptismal regeneration, that the water saved them. They had whole sermons. He, he brought one in. Like, Here's one for you. Let's do how the water saved Noah. I'm like, no, the ark saved Noah. If he was outside that ark, he was drowned and he was dead. It's like the ark saved him. They, they had all these things where they were like, they took Bible verses, just twisted them enough. I'm like, what's wrong? And he said, he goes, oh, we've had this new family coming one day, a different conversation. He said, we had this new family coming to church. And, um, and the preacher's preaching. He said, we went out to eat with them. And he said, they, they asked me, they're like, how do you live with the guilt? You know, they preach about everything that the Bible says and how Christ was and he was so good. And I look at myself and I'm so bad. I just weigh against it. And he's like, how do you live with the guilt? And I'm like, oh, good. I get to see what my friend thinks. Does he give them the gospel now, the the answer? He's like, well, you just learn to live with it. I'm like, that was your advice? You learned to live with it? You learned to live with the guilt? I'm like, oh, how hopeless. 
Uh, I told him, I'm like, no, you repent and you trust in Jesus Christ to save you. Uh, that's not what my preacher says. I'm like, what does the Bible say? I don't care what your preacher says. Let's look at the word. Uh, I still don't know where I stand on that guy. It's like, man, I've had so many conversations with him. It's like, what does the Bible say? And that's why it's hold you to hold me accountable for what I say. I say it right because I will be held accountable. So no, you don't make the best of a bad situation. Solomon says that's the best you can do. You don't just live with it. You repent and trust in him. So... It just seems hollow. And there's just no hope in that. There's no real resolution in that. And I think Solomon even senses that frustration, but we know we're building dirt chapter 12. But verse 16, he goes on, he says, when I applied mine heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth. So he's talking about his life. He says, for also there is uh, that neither day nor night seeth sleep with his eyes. He says, there's just no rest. Verse 17, then I beheld all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, farther, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. He's like, so I apply myself to all this. And I think, and I think, and I think, and I think. I apply my wisdom. There's other wise men, and it just doesn't seem like there's answers. And almost like this, this little last part of the chapter adds insult to injury. Uh, applying wisdom can't find real answers. You can't find answers to all life's questions. They're not answers. And it seems like the closer I get, the further they are. And the more I search and the deeper I go, the, the more unresolved it is, Solomon says. So praise God we live when we live. Praise God that we have the completed word of God that tells us the answer to all of these questions. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, verse 27, I would guess that this verse popped into some of your minds. When Solomon was frustrated about what was going on, it seemed like the wicked were getting by with it. They die and they forget how wicked he was. They talk about how good he was. That perpetuates the next generation of things. Like, well, he got by with it. Let's just do the same thing. Okay, we'll keep the family business going. And how it all goes, it seems like there's just no resolution. Hebrews 9 and verse 27. Hebrews 9, 27 says, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. There is judgment. That if you get by with it in this life, and if you can die before the police and the law come after you, you don't get by with it. You have judgment. Harrison Klebold ended their shooting spree by shooting themselves. They did not get by with it. They might not have been held in court. They might not have been able to, to stand up and have to testify and, and give account for their actions for what they did and why they did. I can't think of any of the school shooters past them that, I ha- that have. I've never heard the trials. I've never heard them begging and pleading for forgiveness for what they have done or the reasons behind which they do it other than a voice told them or they felt, I didn't feel like me. It's like, oh, we know that there's a spiritual warfare going on and we know that there are people out there that are being moved by Satan who hates life to kill people. We know that it's out there, but there's still accountability for that. What do you open yourself up to? What warning should we be pleading these people? We don't have all that, but I know that just because they escaped our justice system, they didn't get by with it. They are in the justice system where God knows their thoughts, their motives, their actions, and he holds them accountable. He doesn't blame the weapon that they held. He blames them and their heart and what they've done. So Noah's appointed unto men once to die. There's no like, well, maybe I'll come back better. Or the boy, they're going to reincarnate as a frog next time because they were so horrible in life. No, once. One shot at life. One time. Appointed unto men once to die. After this, the judgment. And you will be judged 
by how you live. So judgment awaits them. There is a heaven and there is a hell. Both of those kind of have degrees. You know, there's rewards in heaven and there's degrees of hell for how wicked you've lived. You know, their, their wickedness uh, gets rewarded. The more wicked you are, the more hotter it is in hell. The Bible talks about that, how it's accounted unto them. God is just. He doesn't just give everybody, you know, here, y'all got the same thing. It's like, no, a wicked person has more wicked things. And like I say, we, we spent time going through that through Scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians 4. There's much we could look at, but 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have praises of God. And so he said, God's going to judge them. I think this is a little verse to comfort us. Don't worry, they don't get by with it. God will expose their wickedness. He will tell and expose all their evil schemes. He says here he's going to bring to light the hidden things in darkness. And he'll make manifest the counsels, the, the, the things that they have plotted and they've devised uh, uh, on how to rob you of your money, how to scheme you out of this, how to steal your land, how to take your paycheck, how to do all, all those things that are subtle, maybe not a gun in your face, but the subtle little business things as well. He's like, I will bring it all to light and I will hold it all into judgment and I will sentence them all justly. And those who've done good, they will get the praises of men. Those that seem like they do good now, you, you don't hear about. You know, uh, the missionary came Sunday night. His parents, the ones that adopted him down there. I think his dad was blind. You know, his mom, they're down there doing a good work of the Lord. I'd never heard of them before. There's no TV shows and specials about missionaries who've given up to go live in the hardships of Costa Rica to try to reach the lost that are down there. Uh, we, we don't hear those. You don't hear all the countless missionaries that we have everywhere out on the front lines who seem like they get... Um, jibed and made fun of and mocked. You know, I know Richard's been spit on and yelled at and everything else from, you know, preaching on the streets of New York. It's like, they're not glorifying. They're not there. One day the roles will be reversed, right? One day it'll be there. I remember hearing a story once about a missionary who, who finally retired. He'd been in Africa. Him and his wife had put in, you know, 30, 40 years over there. <clears throat> and they're like tired. They're exhausted. Um, and the, the mission board had called them home to live out their remaining years, you know, a little piece of comfort in, in America. And as they're coming back, and you know, they were thinking about the years that they had spent and the time that they had done and the people that they had witnessed to and the one souls that were saved. And, uh, and they were just kind of like, wow, not much reception. But as they pulled in, they saw there was a big crowd. And as the boat was pulled up to the harbor, and there was a big crowd, and there was bands playing, and there was flags. And for a minute, they looked at each other, and they were like, wow, this is pretty cool. You know, maybe this is for real. You know, that we're getting welcomed home. There was some celebrity on the boat that got it. They walked up. No one greeted them. They had to find a taxi, find their way home. But one day, that'll be reversed. One day, all the sacrifice, everything they did, not for mankind and not for men's eyes to see, then when we get to heaven, these people that we know nothing about, we don't, we'll know the celebrity that was on the boat, but one these people we know nothing about, God will exalt them and put them up and say, these are the ones who selfishly gave, who put themselves in the heat and harm's way and all, and all of the discomforts that they were to make sure that the gospel was proclaimed. They will be the ones rewarded. They will have the fanfare. I'm sure the day they die and got to heaven, there was an awaiting for them where the angels were singing and the crowds were there and the souls that have been rescued by them were singing and dancing saying, thank you for what you've done, how you've given your life unto me. Oh, it was a different thing when they reached the shores of heaven than it was on earth. So we need to remember not living for here on earth. We're living for there and then, the real shores, the eternal shores of heaven. 
be faithful. Verse 2 of, of chapter 4 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Be faithful. Stand strong. Though we see the wicked prosper, stay in it. Stay by the stuff. Do what is right. Uh, look at Romans chapter 2. It's a very good explanation of this. Romans 2, verse 1, is uh, kind of Paul making his uh, legal case. By chapter 3, he gives the verdict. But chapter 2, he's, he's telling us some things. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, because of Romans chapter 1, where we have all seen, we've all know, we have all known, we we know there's eternity. We know there's judgment. We know, um, matter of fact, chapter 1 is kind of like what Solomon is saying. Just using under the sun reasoning, we know that there is judgment. We know there must be some kind of payment that is made. Chapter 2, he's saying, therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whosoever, or, or whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherefore thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest does the same thing. Here he is using the Ten Commandments written on your heart. If you've ever judged anybody else for anything, if you're some pagan on some island who's never heard of the Lord Jesus Christ and never heard of the Ten Commandments and you don't want somebody to steal your canoe and they stole your canoe and you had condemned them for stealing your canoe, he's like, the law is written on your heart. If you've ever judged anybody, someone's lusting after your wife and you hate it, someone has done this, all those things, if you've ever judged someone for doing something wickedly and put yourself up as being good, he's like, I'll use your standard. There's a couple of guys at work that I really fear for that have zero tolerance. They're super judgmental about everything, and I pray for them often. I'm like, man, it's going to be a bad judgment day if you don't get right. Because <laughs> you show no forgiveness, no, no tolerance for any, anything to go on. God will judge you the same way. That's what he's saying here. He goes, I will use your law against you. I will take the same things you held everybody else accountable for in your sphere, in your life, that someone took your parking spot, and somebody's in there with 12 items, and you have 11, and all these other. I will use all your judgment against you, and I will hold you accountable. So verse 2, he says, <clears throat> but we are... Sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? He's like, you judge someone and you turn around and do the same thing? I often use the news reporter for this, that'll talk about somebody getting caught in pornography or whatever, and then they'll say, now stay tuned for this show that is just as bad, if not worse. It's like, wait a minute, you just sit there and judge someone because you read it off a script, and now you're turning around and putting the same thing in front of somebody? It's like, ah, he says, I'm going to hold you for that. Verse 4, he says, or despises the riches and the goodness and the forbearance and the long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth, uh, leadeth thee to repentance. See, this is that verse that Solomon was, Solomon kind of needed. He's like, seems like the wicked get by with it seems like they can sin a hundred times and it doesn't come against them and the righteous guy gets everything against them god says here it's like it's my long suffering he says this is what i'm doing it's my it's my forbearance i didn't judge them right away because i'm giving them a chance to repent the drug dealer somebody gets by with it because god is saying maybe next time you know maybe it's his forbearance his long suffering that God is trying to lead them to repentance it says at the end of it that the goodness of god leadeth to lead to repentance He's trying to lead them to repentance, but, verse 5, But after thy hardness and impotent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Every time God gives them a second chance, and every time they do get by with it, they are actually, and they don't repent and trust Christ, they are actually adding to their judgment. They are adding to their sentence that God is like, I showed you a little grace. And I showed you a little grace again. And I showed you some more grace. I have showed you grace a lot. And now all that comes against you is wrath. Because you took that grace and you traded it as me um, standing with you. Or endorsing you and what you were doing. And God's saying, no, I didn't do that. 
And so he is holding them accountable. Verse 6, who will render to every man according to his deeds. God says, I am the just judge. I will give every man according to what he needs and what he deserves. He says, they do not get by with it. The wicked aren't getting away with it. It's just that God is long-suffering. They are just twisting what is happening. They need to repent and trust in Jesus Christ and do right and fear God. If you do that, verse 7, he says, To them that are patient in continuance and well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life. So if you've repented and trusted Christ as your Savior, he says, the thing that you will get, he says, by seeking glory and all this, you will get honor and immortality, eternal life, the things that we long for, a time to live forever, to do the things that we desire, to see the things we wanted to see, to have those answers and those things resolved before us if we live for him. Verse 8, he says, but unto them that are contentious, or contentious, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. Here's what they get, indignation and wrath. They also get tribulation and anguish upon every soul, uh, soul of man that doeth evil, unto the Jew first and also to the Gentile. But glory, honor, peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. There is no respect of persons with God. He says, I hold everybody accountable. So do right. You get hell and judgment if you're a sinner. That awaits the lost world. So he says, so do right, live right, because judgment is coming. And you will give an account for your life. You know, if you're lost and you go stand before God, you stand alone before him, naked, and he sees it all. We just had verses there where he says, I see these things, and I, and I know every heart, I know your heart, I know every motive, I know everything you thought about, and he holds you accountable. But if you have Jesus Christ, if you've repented and trusted him as your Savior, you do not stand alone. Jesus Christ stands up for you and pleads your case. I hate dealing with the government. I don't know what I'm doing. And they have 50,000 forms. And I don't do that every day. And I don't know. What am I supposed to do? It would be great to have someone come along and says, I know exactly what to do. And they stand up and they do that. And they plead that case. And they do that paperwork. And they do all those things for you. That's what Jesus Christ is. Romans 8 verse 1 tells us this about the believer. Romans 8 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's no condemnation awaiting us if you've repented and trusted in Him. Amen. But there is for the wicked. And then one last verse. Oh, sorry. I got another one. Look at Romans 7. Because we had to come to this conclusion. Romans 7 says in verse 24 O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Paul has just gone through this thing of saying, oh, that I want to do, I do is, I want to do good, but I don't, I do evil. No, my heart is wicked, and I wrestle within myself. Who's going to deliver me? He asks the right question, who? And he answers at verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ is the one who delivers us. He's the only one who can rescue us and deliver us safely on the other side, if we repent and trust in him. There's one last one in Revelation I want to look at. Revelation 21 that tells us who the sinners are and what happens unto them and all the ones that are held accountable. Revelation 21, verse 8, says, but the fearful, the ones who are afraid to stand up for Christ, the ones who are afraid to come forward and say anything, the ones who are afraid to acknowledge that they were a sinner and needed salvation, the ones who are afraid of what their friends would think or what their families would think, the ones who are afraid to be accounted and associated with God, associated with Christ, and associated with us weirdos, afraid of all that. He says, the fearful, those who are afraid of man, those who did whatever man said because they were afraid to stand on their own, they were afraid to do what was right, the fearful, the unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, 
and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Judgment awaits them. We're so thankful that we have a way out, that we have an escape route, and that Jesus Christ has paid it for us so that there is no condemnation for us that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, so I hope today that we want to stand and trust in him and that we have and that we can stand in the promises, standing on the promises of Christ our King, and that he is doing that, he is pleading that case. And we need to see the lost as they are. And this is to give us standing power. When we see the wicked prosper and it seems like they're getting by with it, know that they aren't. And to continue doing what is right and to stand up for what is right and don't go along with whatever all the other cool kids are doing. That we do what is right. That we use the Bible as our standard. The Bible is our rule book. The Bible is our lamp into our feet and a light into our path to lead us and to guide us. And not by what the world is doing and what it seems like the world is getting by with. Or, hey, they made that legal and this is okay and that's all right. doesn't matter. God's law trumps it all. And so we need to stand with him. And I pray that we just take that resolve here this morning to keep doing what we do. And to stand all the more firmer with him. And not to be worried so much about what the world is doing, but what Christ wants us to do and that we please him.